Coming to you by way of the not-for-profit Mainframe Studios at 900 Kiowa in downtown Des Moines, this is 900 Views, a podcast about building community through the arts as we build an arts community. I'm your host, Pat Bodie, and today I'm at Daisy Chain Coffee Shop in the Ray Gun Building in Des Moines East Village with artist Nick Thomas of Cedar Rapids. Nick's installing his large-scale work, Myths or Flowers, at Ray Gun for Art Week this year, June 18th to the 25th. Nick's a Georgia native who grew up in Independence, Iowa. An autodidact, Nick started as a doodler and student of pop culture, eventually schooling himself in abstract painting. He has most recently been exploring what he calls the overlap of collage, assemblage, and sculpture. The pandemic forced him to rapidly shift from a part-time artist to pursuing his art career full-time. He also recently curated the Iowa Pop Art Market at the National Czech and Slovak Museum in Cedar Rapids, providing a platform for the diverse work of more than 30 artists, creators, and vendors from across the state. His work has been shown at various venues throughout Iowa and across the Midwest. Nick, thanks for joining us here. Joining me here, really appreciate it. Now, this Iowa Pop Art Market uh, strikes me as potentially a significant community event. And I want to know if you think you're seeing any lasting value from having done all that work. You didn't just really curate it. You kind of coordinated it, facilitated it, made it happen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's been a really big, really impactful. Uh, I've had a lot of people, you know, follow up with me after the fact, and we're sort of planning some future events as well. Uh, a lot of the artists, I mean, all the artists that were involved did really well in terms of selling art and exposing, you know, their art to the people. And then we had a lot of vendors that were, you know, like vintage clothing vendors that were selling things as well, and they all did really well. So, uh, and we built a, a little community there, uh, you know, between the two groups uh, in the time that we planned that event and after the fact. And uh, I've had, you know, the artists reach out to me and about future events and things like that. So um, I think that we'll do more Iowa pop art events in the coming months and years. So it's been it's been really exciting, and it's been uh, it's been fun to sort of see you know, how that was a, it's, it's been a launching point for some of these other initiatives that we've been talking about with these artists. So, so what are some of those initiatives you're talking about as artists? Um, well, right now I've reached out or I'm working with a couple of the artists that were in the show and about doing some sort of a fashion focused uh, show in the next couple of months. We're looking at venues there. And uh, so some of the artists in the show did, uh, have done textile work, but they weren't really able to sh- necessarily feature that in the pop art market. So we're looking at sort of ways to kind of highlight that type of art and reach out to some uh, other local artists. We just want to keep expanding the sort of roster of the Iowa pop artists that we've been using, and so just you know building connections and collaborations that way. So that's the the kind of the project that we're working on right now. Why did you pick pop art as kind of the vehicle uh, for this first foray into community building in this way? Well, for a couple of different reasons. One of the reasons was that. Uh, the Czech and Slovak Museum, uh, Andy Warhol has a Slovakian background, so we they had done some. I did not know that. Yeah, I so they had done I some. Didn't. Excuse me, they had done some Warhol-focused exhibits there in the past, and that was actually the only time I'd been there. They had done a Warhol exhibit a few years back, and they had um, like screen printing activities where you could you know make a little soup can, or there was like a Warhol portrait or whatever, and so. When I had talked, started talking to the museum about doing an event, I sort of th- saw that as a way to kind of like 
connect the art angle and the Czechoslovakian angle as well. And so, and then also, I just think that like that was like a type of art that I feel like doesn't get represented very often in this part of the state, anyway, or at least you know in the Midwest. A lot of times, you know, I go to these art fairs or um, art shows, and it's you know the same kind of um, you know traditional, more fine art focused stuff. So I wanted to focus on art that wasn't that, I guess. And I love pop art, so. Yeah, yeah. So, what do you love about pop art? Um, I like that it's accessible and that it's, um, you know, one of the great things about the market that we did is that we had such a wide range of artists and everyone sort of did their own thing and that was able to, you know, the the people, the visitors that came, we were able to, I heard so much about like, oh, you know, there was something for everyone, you know, and it was so appealing to young people and old people and it was like, if you didn't necessarily like this artist, you you know, you walked over 15 feet and there was somebody who did something, you know, completely different, so... Um, and I'm just like a pop culture person. I've always been into that. So I find that stuff more accessible. I know when I go to art museums, I sort of pass over a lot of the early stuff and go right to the, the modern contemporary thing. So that's that's just what has always interested me about art. I mean, my earliest interest in art were about comic books and things like that. And I think that when I was younger, I probably wasn't uh, made to believe that, that was as fine art as, you know, some of the, you know, Renaissance painters or whatever. And then as I got older and sort of learned more about the history of it, I think that, and especially now, I think comic books are a little more mainstream. So I think there's a little more appreciation for the art of that kind of, you know, pop art, I guess. So so you really were pursuing the pop art in part because it was just relatable for a lot of different players. Well, yeah. And I just think that that was a way for, well, and it was, a, it was a way to create a theme that I thought I could use to bring in the different types of artists that I wanted to use. And it was a sort of a connecting thread. It was like, because there was, I thought there were so many different types of art that could fall under the pop art umbrella that it allowed me to sort of have this sort of diverse uh, lineup of artists that we had. So you're here in Des Moines, and uh, you got here in a way by virtue of sort of what I'm starting to recognize as perhaps a little bit of a statewide artist network. Is that a fair thing to yeah. say? So I'm kind of wondering a little bit about that arts community in Cedar Rapids versus um, this more statewide network, uh, what's the interplay there and what's the strengths of each? Well, a part of the thing is, is that I had found that in Cedar Rapids, that there's sort of an established, you know, uh, click of artists, you know, and it was kind of sometimes hard to kind of get your foot in there. So this was a way of getting my foot in there myself or creating a place for other people to get their foot in. And a lot of the artists that I knew are from the Des Moines and different areas, Des Moines area and different areas around the state. So I didn't want to just, I didn't want it to be a Cedar Rapids event. I wanted it to be an art, an Iowa event so that we could pull in artists from different parts of the state and, you know, in the future as well. So um, I, I don't have a great sense of what the scene is like in Des Moines. I'm hoping that, you know, I'm like I said, I'm doing the, the thing at Raygun here next month, and I hope that that's going to, you know, open some doors and help me meet more people in the Des Moines market. But I also think that, you know, I found some great artists, or we feature some great artists in Cedar Rapids as well, and I just think that they, many of them had never shown in a show like this before or shown publicly at all. So it was a great opportunity for different artists to show their work to a completely new audience. You know, most a lot of artists, as you're coming up, you know, you're just showing it to your friends and family, and it's hard to get reactions from people that you don't know and so I think this was an opportunity where all these artists were able to you know hear from people that didn't had never seen their art before maybe never seen art like theirs before so so you kind of made your own community a little bit here kind of kind of helped create it what what's required to sustain it and to the extent this podcast has listeners yeah (laughs) some of them are not artists right they are folks who like to be patrons of the arts or support the arts in some way. So give us a little guidance that as you're 
anticipating sustaining this arts community that you're involved in creating both in Cedar Rapids and statewide. What, what needs to happen? What, what supports do you need? Well, I think what we need is just places that would like to put on these kind of events and, and host artists for these kind of events. I mean, that was the great thing about working with the museum is they were very open-minded to what we wanted to do, and they gave us a lot of freedom, and they were they were cooperative while also being hands-off. They didn't have a lot of micromanagement, so, you know, like they sort of said, here's the event, here's when, we, when you could do it, here's the space, and I was able to, you know, pick the artists that I wanted and we sort of created a schedule and things like that so I think if there's more venues that are willing to host these kinds of events then I think that's certainly helpful um, and just also for the people that are or the groups that are already hosting the events just be willing to include I guess a wider range and maybe new artists and actively search out um, emerging artists I think is the is the toughest thing because I found that when I was reaching out to some of these artists they were so taken aback by the fact that they were being invited as opposed to something that they had to apply for or get a jury, you know, like, and I know that I've done that, you know, you apply and you send images in and you send your fee in and then you don't get chosen or you do get chosen or whatever, but... And you may or may not hear back anytime soon. Sure, and it's, you know, it takes a lot to put yourself out there like that. And so for for a lot of these artists, they were so excited and honored that I reached out to them and said, no, I like your stuff. I would like to put you in the show. And they would be like, oh, you know, what does it cost? I'm like, oh, you know, it's not going to cost anything. And so they were so excited about that opportunity. And so I think giving those kind of opportunities to artists and, and reaching out to them specifically and choosing them as opposed to hoping that they will apply is, is a big part of it. Oh, that's really, that's intriguing. I haven't really heard that message before and yeah. all the times we've done this podcast, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, it makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, so you're coming here with myths or flowers. Right. Uh, can you... We have to talk about abstract in the abstract, right? Right. <laughs> because we don't have a lot of visual work to do here. Can you give us just enough of an understanding of that piece? Yeah, so uh, I spoke with the people at Raygun, Rachel Busey, uh, about doing an installation here. And she, you know, I looked at the space and it's, you know, it's, a, it's on the second story. It's these big windows. And so I really started thinking about how I would utilize that space specifically. And, you know, just the way that the sun blasts through those windows, I, I really wanted to utilize that. And my work recently over the last year, I've been doing a lot where I use materials that make the pieces dynamic so that they're, there's things that are loose so that they move in the wind or the things that are reflective and things like that. So the light changes, you know, depending on where the angle that you look at. Is, is that what you mean by assemblage? The, well, the assemblages I mean are like, they're sort of like collages that are more three-dimensional. So okay. I'm attaching okay. like larger bulkier you know components onto these canvases and the different structures that I use so the difference to for me between assemblage and collages this the collages are more you know flat whereas the assemblages have a lot of things sticking out of them or you know different things assembled to them yeah and so when I started thinking about uh this piece here at Raygun I wanted to really push the idea of making this a dynamic piece that's going to change constantly and especially with the light so i'm using a lot of materials that are reflective and iridescent and will allow the light to be pushed through them and you know into the different places in the store so um that is the the main thrust of the idea here and just to really push the idea of the space and the light and the constant changing based on the time of day and the things like that. What's the significance of myths or flowers? Well, uh, I don't always talk about my the titles. People ask me that a lot. But this one specifically has like some meaning behind it. So one of the themes of the, the piece that, that I was thinking a lot about, is particularly in the culture that we're in now, is like the sort of level of narcissism that's required in terms of 
you know, putting yourself out there on Instagram or putting your art out there. And, um, you know, as I started researching, like, you know, the history of narcissism and where the term comes from, it was, you know, there's sort of the narcissist myth and then there's the narcissist flower. And so it's kind of like, and I sort of, I thought that that was an interesting juxtaposition. Then I also kind of remind me that, you know, when you look back at some of these old Renaissance painters, the old masters, they either painted myths or they painted flowers, you know, and those are not things that I generally sort of think about when I'm creating my work. So this is a little bit of irony there, I guess. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about the, the work involved in teaching yourself. Uh, I've talked to a lot of folks and many of them have, you know, they have BFAs or MFAs, they've gone to schools. Sure. Um, how do you navigate that territory of not being that kind of a graduate and at the same time, you know, doing the work of teaching yourself? Yeah, so uh, it's been about eight and almost nine or ten years ago. I just I had sort of gone on a road trip around the country, and I was in a lot of coffee shops, and I saw art for sale, and just sort of was like, oh, I, you know, I wonder if you know some of it was good and some of it was bad, and it sort of motivated me to maybe try it as like a social experiment. Maybe maybe I could do that, and so I did just sort of started, and I thought abstract seemed like the easiest place to start. You know, you don't have to try to make something look like something; you just have to make it look cool or whatever. And um, <laughs> It took me some time to sort of like work through that process. And of course, once you start doing that, you want to kind of find out who else is doing it or who has done it. And you sort of research. And you know, I had some familiarity with the big names, you know, Jackson Pollock, obviously. And so I think I, he, was obvi- he was my first, you know, main inspiration. I watched, you know, the biography about him and, you know, and sort of saw his process. And, you know, his, the way he would work with the canvases on the floor or horizontally, I mean, that's to this day for the most part how I work, um, or at least the majority of my pieces start that way. Yeah. Um, and it allows you to walk around and things like that. So, you know, my, the self-taught was just exposing myself to art that I had never learned about or just seen, you know, like I said, especially around here, you know, I grew up in a small town. We didn't have an art museum. There's an art museum in Cedar Rapids, but again, that's a lot of traditional fine art. There wasn't a lot of like modern, you know, pop art or abstract art or things like that. And so then just as I would just learn. And then the, the problem with the being inspired by Jackson Pollock is once you start making stuff like that, it just looks like a Jackson Pollock. It's hard to sort of step away from that. You know, it seems so derivative. So my, um, ambition to sort of be unique in terms of like what I was doing was just to try to find new inspiration and pull from different things. And so the more you would learn about other artists, you would you'd figure out how you can kind of work some of their stuff into what you were doing. And then going to art museums around the country was like a big step for me. Like I just, like I said, I'd never done that as a, as a youth. And so the more I go now, I just love it. I love just seeing him in person. And I think that I tell in anyone who wants to sort of like grow as an artist, I think you just have to expose yourself to different kinds of art. Like I, I find it so inspiring to go to an art museum and just see it in person and see the, you can see the technique when you're up close, you know, that you can't see when you look in pictures. So, um, and the self-taught aspect is just keep trying new things and sort of seeing what works and what doesn't work, I guess. I don't know. Someone told me once I had to learn all the rules before I could break them. And I sort of feel like I started breaking the rules first and then I went back and learned the rules to sort of figure out why I broke them, I guess. <laughs> I'm not sure that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> uh, tell me a little bit about this transition to uh, a full-time artist. This was kind of forced upon you by virtue of the pandemic and, and costing you your job like it did so many others. Um, where's the blessing in this and where's the curse? Well, it's been mostly blessing. I mean, obviously, I don't have as much money as I did when I was working full-time, but uh, it's really allowed me to change the way I think about myself as an artist and the things I'm creating I when I was working full-time the to find time to do the art it felt like I was trying to find time it was staying up late it was getting up early it was trying to find time in between your normal life 
And now it's like I just have to think about it all the time, which can be you know somewhat overwhelming, but it has allowed me to really do things that are more conceptual and think more long-term and focus on some of the things about being an artist that are less fun, you know, the sort of marketing yourself and the building the websites and this kind of stuff, which for years when people would ask me, oh, you know, I'd be like, oh, I haven't updated my website in a while. It's like, that's not the fun part or like, you know, this kind of stuff where, you know, now it's like when you see that this is like your job, this is your career, you have to put the time in to do those sort of things. That being said, my website is not as updated as it should be. But. <laughs> Um, and the curse of it is, you know, like I said, it's just, it's, it's a little bit scary. You know what I mean? There's no, I don't have much of a safety net here, but I, I have more confidence, you know, moving forward now than I did a year ago. I think I, at some point I, I really started seeing myself as an artist as opposed to someone who just made art, I guess, which to me is a difference. You know, I appreciated your point about inviting uh, folks to show, et cetera, but when you think about that safety net concept, not to get too political here, but uh, what, what would be uh, a safety net of substance that the community and or the state uh, could help contribute to in some way? Well, what would I, that look like? I know that there are grants and things like that. I think that they are, all, they are hard to know about and hard to, and, and I know there's plenty of support systems for people that find out about them and want to go through that process. But I know even for personally, they're, they're very daunting. So I just think more, you know, community programs that support. And again, I don't, I don't know the logistics and how that would work. But you know, if it's stipends, if it's residencies, if it's things like that, where it just gives, and it doesn't always have to be financial. I think just the opportunity you're giving. Like I said, I think a lot of the artists that were in the market a couple of weeks ago, you know, made more money that day than they had probably made selling art altogether prior and so that for a lot of them I think it gave them the confidence to do this again it gave them the confidence to raise their prices it gave them the confidence to that oh this isn't just a, you know what I mean and, and it's such a big step to take for so many people to do that kind of first show and to sell art to strangers for the first time because all of us who have made art we sold it sold it to our friends and relatives for years but when you sell it to that first person who has no idea who you are and they just like your art for what your art is that is a really big boost in your confidence. And I think that giving artists as many opportunities as possible to get that boost is huge. What impact would you like to have on the community of Cedar Rapids and the Des Moines community? You're, you're here with a foot in each right now. Yeah. Well, the Des Moines thing is I just feel like I haven't had a lot of opportunities to show the kind of work that I'm doing now in Des Moines. I have shown at the Polk County Heritage Gallery um, a couple of years. The, le- the year, you know, last year was a virtual exhibit, so that was tough. And so I felt like that was frustrating because I was in the middle of this kind of transition to the more sculptural collages, and I had some pieces that were in that show. But again, it's like these pieces work better in person. So um, my, my goals in Des Moines are just sort of introduce myself and, and maybe get some more opportunities to show here. And Cedar Rapids, honestly... I, I, I will be really happy if my legacy there is this, this pop art event and the, the, the group we've created, and I think that we'll do the pop art market again next year, and I think that that's a really cool legacy to have, that if, if this event outlives my participation in it and helps serve as like an annual thing that launches artists, I think that's a great thing that I hope to, to be able to build. You know, we're always trying to talk here about the role of the artist in um, creating community. And uh, as I've mentioned a couple of times most recently, we, we had some of these conversations prior to the pandemic without ever really thinking about what community means, uh, what, what would be a vision of an ideal community. So I'm going to give you this really tough question. 
which is if you were to create visually an image that depicted the ideal community you would like to live in, what would be in that image? Well, I haven't been to your to the mainframe studios, but from what I see from a lot of the artists participate there, I think that that is an example of something that would be great in a lot of different places, where it seems like there's a lot of opportunities for artists to meet and spend time together and collaborate and get to know each other, and I don't know that Cedar Rapids has something like that, but there's, a, there's some spots there that I feel like could support a thing like that. But again, it's even when you start to look at studio space when I first moved to Cedar Rapids it's sometimes it's so pricey for especially someone who is struggling to become an artist so I would want spaces for artists to be able to create spaces for artists to show their work on a regular basis and find like-minded people to just bounce ideas off of or just hang out with I know that like I said I'm I'm almost 40 and I started as an artist when I was you know in my early 30s and so I didn't know other artists. It was really hard for me to like know who to ask some of these questions that only artists can think about. And so, you know, the reason that I was able to get some of the artists into the pop art market was just because they were people that I had reached out to online for various uh-huh. reasons and to create that kind of dialogue, you know. So some of them were, I say friends, but I had met them in person only a handful of times, if at all, but because, you know, I am not scared to send people sporadic messages about whatever random thoughts I have or here's a picture, give me your feedback or whatever. So I think that they know that there's a sort of trust level there that they can do the same to me and some of them have. And so I think that giving artists an opportunity to find other artist friends to talk and communicate with, I think is is an important thing that I would want if I was building like an artist community, I think. So to summarize, more mainframes. More mainframes, yeah. Or just more, you know, just just small places where... And the other great thing about the pop art market was, like I said, we had all these vendors that were selling vintage clothing and this kind of stuff. And the overlap there was so great because it was young people, you know, doing this kind of like fresh style, even though it was vintage and retro, but like, you know, they were young, independent entrepreneurs. And so, and you know, the interests there were overlapping. You know, again, this the kind of art that we were showing was youthful and fresh and young and had young perspective and there was young people there and young people visiting and so it was just I think opening eyes and and creating spaces for young people to just come and see art like I heard from people that there had never been that many sort of teenagers at the museum there you know what I mean and it's just it's it was a it's a it's a venue that doesn't always present uh inviting events for younger people I think and I think that that's it's it's huge so energy production is really one of the key roles of the artist I think so yeah yeah well Nick and it's N-I-Q that's correct yeah Thomas yep Uh, I want folks to be able to check out your work so your website is niqthomas.com and Instagram is at niq.thomas so please check out that work there and also at Raygun at least June 18th through the 25th but it'll probably be up a little early and may last a little longer Nick thank you so much I've loved having this conversation with you I want to thank uh, Rachel Boozy for helping to set this up and also for catalyzing and coordinating Art Week as she always does and as always Thanks to everybody at Mainframe Studios and to my collaborator, Alex Cooney. And thanks to you for listening to this episode of 900 Views. I'm Pat Bodie.